Hello and welcome to the Exploring Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Krim. And on this podcast, we really want to highlight and explore the emerging ideas and trends within healthcare and really better understand the healthcare supply chain. And hopefully by doing so, we'll be able to be better consumers of healthcare. And on this episode, I sit down with uh, Benjamin Prenzing, who's the CEO of Rover Analytics. That's his most recent uh, business venture. But through our interview, you'll find that uh, Benjamin is an entrepreneur at heart. He's launched uh, several uh, business ventures since his teenage and his early 20s. And, uh, you know, we talk a little bit about how he got into a health and wellness space uh, through some personal experiences in his life, and then also what they're working to accomplish at Rover Analytics. And it, it's pretty cool. They're trying to empower employers by giving them access to medical claims data that they have not historically had. And by doing so, they're able to look at some other financing options. Um, for their health care, but really it gives them a, a better window into the challenges that are facing their employees from a healthcare standpoint and make sure that they have the necessary education and tools to navigate that. So I uh, hope you'll sit back and enjoy my conversation with Benjamin. All right, we'll go ahead and get started. Benjamin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you making the time for this. Um, so I thought we would, we would start here and um, based off of our, our conversations before we went live here a little bit, but um, in doing my prep for the show and, and looking at your background, it looks like you started your first business in, in 2008. And I was curious, what led you to become an entrepreneur? Yeah, well, that wasn't the first company. That's just the first company that's probably on my, on my link, LinkedIn. Definitely done companies since I was a kid, um, but that's the one that's most no, no, notable uh, when that actually started making uh, legitimate revenue, I, I, I guess I'd say. So a lot of the failures before we got to, to got to, got to that, that one. Okay. But um, what led to that? I, you know what? I, I don't know if I can pinpoint any one thing. I just always, I never really liked working for anybody else. And I knew when I was a kid, I didn't really want to work for anyone else. And I had a, a my, my stepfather, who's my, who's, who's my dad. Uh, he's always encouraged entrepreneurship and we tried all kinds of different things throughout out the year our years of of selling baseball cards to mm -hmm. all kind all kinds of crazy stuff uh, to try to figure out um, how to make a business work none of, none of them actually uh, uh, succeeded um, so but I think I just always had that fire to figure figure it out you know, eventually down the road so uh, I love it I, I wouldn't change change any any of it yeah. So you mentioned baseball cards. What were some of the other businesses that you guys tried to to get off the ground? Some are embarrassing. Um, I, I've I, when I was 18 years old, I got involved in MLM before I knew what MLM was and that they were bad and evil. Um, thinking like that was great. I'll take someone else's product. They train you on how to do it. I'll go go sell that. And it just that was it. it obviously, it's not about that. It's about getting getting more people. But when you're 18 years old, you're pretty you're pretty vulnerable and, and gullible. I, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, so like think things like that. I had a web design company actually when I was when I, also when I was 18 years old that actually did did pretty well. Uh, that was the first business business that actually generated some revenue with with my brother. Um, but then I just ended up fi finding uh, some other pa passions uh, along along the way. And 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 Catalyst was really the one that kind of took took off. And that one happened when I was gosh I think I was like 20 26 years old. And so little little companies before them. But I mean it's been pretty much my entire adult life has been. Uh, running that, and then we've had some uh, different companies that I try to sp spawn off. I, I try to do. A, I had a company called Free Drinks, and it was a, a non-alcoholic uh, 
uh, uh, syrup that you could mix with uh, non non alcoholic beverages to make mocktails. I had a company okay. called Chef Cycle, and it was trying to deliver healthy foods to the workplace. I, I could I could go on and on. It's stuff that just were good ideas, but just were a little bit I think harder to to, to get launched than, than I anticipated or. Um, I just didn't want to put the time, the, the, the time in after all. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to focus, focus on the core until I felt I did the whole, the Rover, the Rover concept. And I was like, okay, that this is the next one that we want to, to really uh, dive in deep in, and, uh, explore. And then obviously it becoming its, its own, its own thing. So I think that's important is just to, just to try it out and just to see what, where it goes. And if you're not passionate about it, you give up that passion and it's like, it's okay to like, just move, move on for, you know, for something else. So I always, I think of a true entrepreneur in the terms of, I, I have to dabble. Like I'm, I'm still like looking at things today um, that I'm experimenting with uh, just because I, I just can't sit still. <laughs> yeah. Walk me through, what's your process of, of coming up with these ideas or do they just come to you in the shower as you're, you know, driving around? Like what's that process look like? You know, they, they, a lot of them come from just conversations with with customers and prospects. I'd say inside my bubble, um, people that um that whether it be from my 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 friends and and or or just work colleagues or like I said or, or even even customers and finding out what kind of their pain points are. I, I'm I'm really good at, at the execution side of things. So if I can get onto an idea and latch onto that that I'm really passionate about, uh, then it's really easy for me to figure out a way to to execute on that. But I wouldn't say that the that the ideas are honestly really, really come from me. I really get inspired by what problems I'm a problem solver. I think that's what it is. Like, that's mm -hmm. what gets me. It's like, who is that a problem that I, I, I could solve? So one of the, uh, my wellness company that I was mentioning earlier that I, I uh, kind of sold off to, to my brother. Uh, one of the things that we actually did with that company was actually create a kind of a franchise like uh, business model, because we had so many people that were practitioners themselves, like, fitness trainers or nutritionists or even nurses that would say i'm trying to get in the worksite wellness space but i don't know how to or i can't get a corporate client because i don't have any other corporate clients so it's a catch-22 and we're like it's really hard to get in that space and it's really expensive with the software that you need to set up and yeah you do have to have the clients and the credibility sort of like well gosh why don't we try to set up a franchise type model and then mm -hmm. we can license our brand and our tools and our training and and do that so that's where that that spark that spark from so obviously with rover and, and people complaining about not getting data and i got just tired of hearing them like there's got to be a way to get the data in, in some different way and so um it's always just identifying what those biggest complaints are and seeing if there's a, a way to to solve for that uh, problem yeah i like that that's that's very uh appreciate that insight. I'm always curious how people come up with their, their ideas. Yeah. I wish um, I could say I'm brilliant. I always have these ideas. I have 10,000 ideas floating around my head. I, I actually don't. Um, I, I, I would like to, but I, I just try to pay attention to what the problems are. And, and then that, that just gets me excited because I, I just can't stand when it's like, you can't do something. It's like, maybe, maybe we can. And like, let's, let's go down that way. So that, that's, that, that's what gets me, uh, gets me excited. And I think that's important too. Sometimes you just have great ideas and it's like, well, there's not a market for it and there's not a need for it. Then your idea is just an idea. So I think it just kind of works out in my favor that I'm just paying attention to what everyone's, I guess, com maybe complaining about. And if yeah. there's enough complaints, it's like, that might be a business opportunity there. There might be a solution that, that that's there. So let's go down that, that road. And so, so far that that's, that's worked out really, really well. Right. You've mentioned uh, Catalyst, and I, and I want to talk about Rover Analytics as well, the one that you're most focused on. But um, talk to me about what was it that kind of propelled you into the health and wellness and employee communication space, this world? 
Yeah, I had, uh, it's just kind of, it's a sad story because it, it, you know, my, I had a friend that, that passed away due to heart failure at age 38. Uh, his name was Daryl. Um, it was at a company that we both worked at when I was 20 and 21 years old. Um, and that's where I started my first wellness program in, internally. Um, and it wasn't a, a means to really get employees like healthy. We did talk about ROI back then. I, I think worksite wellness has gotten a really bad rap and very, very tainted. It's really sad what, what's happened in, in, in the space. Because um, when we were doing it was really for job attraction and retention and just doing the right thing uh, for, for people. And, and in that business that we worked at, we were competing for, for wages um, or, or against wages because we had a really high, highly competitive um, market where we couldn't afford to pay what our competitors could pay. We were, we were just too small. So I decided to, to, to really promote the fact that where I was working, I felt it was a great place to work. I had a lot of opportunity internally and I wanted to make that more, uh, create more awareness around that and let people know that, that when they're here, they're just not a number and that we're, they're really treated with respect and we want their, all of their ideas. And then in the middle of that too, was like, gosh, like the, one of the owners happened to own a gym that was like two blocks down the street. And we're like, well, shoot, we could probably eat healthier too while we're here. And it was just a very lightweight uh, uh, program. And, and unfortunately it, it wasn't as impactful as I, 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 I guess I needed it in, intended it to be, um, which is why I lost a, a friend of mine at 38 due to heart failure. Um, and so that's where I fell in love with the, the industry. And then I was, as, as I was working through this, realized that a lot of employers don't know how to run these programs themselves internally. In fact, they just have a lot of other stuff on their plate, especially when it's dumped on HR's plate. Mm -hmm. And so there was really a need to take that off their plate and to run these programs really efficiently and to make sure that we keep these things top of mind um, and try to get some results out, out of it. So it wasn't just like these lightweight programs that just like, oh, they people didn't like them. It's just in, in one ear out the other most of the time. And mm -hmm. so when we we're doing that, we realized too, is like, the core of what, what was missing was just really good communication. So we actually branched off our kind of our worksite wellness program, your, your kind of your traditional uh, programming that you would think of um, to a different brand. And I transformed Catalyst into this employee benefits marketing company, because mm -hmm. that was a, the piece that we thought was really missing was just a lack of really strong communication to employees on just creating awareness of what they have. Today's, you know, health plans are really robust. They have all kinds of you know, benefits from 401k to EAP to telehealth. And of course your health plan has all kinds of different, you know, benefits as well there. And it's who's keeping track of all that and who's keeping those things top of mind. And so I felt that there was a, there was a gap in the market to just be this communication arm for, uh, for employers. And it was all, another thing that got, was complained about. It's like, well, employees don't know, employees aren't aware, or they're not using it. I, I saw, I think the straw that broke the camel's back for me was this larger, a company that had an EAP program and they, they actually canceled their contract uh, with the EAP vendor because their, their reason for canceling was, well, nobody's using it. Mm. It's like, well, no one's using it because nobody's aware of it. And we need to do a better job from promote, promoting those, those resources, especially EAP. And it's nice to finally see mental health being talked about as much as it is, especially on LinkedIn, like never before. Right. And, and so seeing that, that opportunity, that need was just like, okay, we got to refocus and, and really focus the messaging on, on that's going to be relayed, relayed back to that employee that they're going to be able to understand and that we're going to keep that top of mind through, throughout the year and then leveraging data to really drive targeted messaging you know, to those individuals. Um, that way, just let them kind of self-select. Self and what we found is that it, it, it really worked. And we did all kinds of different projects from 
little little things even around the workplace where we had a vending machine and we had it re-merchandised where we and we'd had little signs on it with a, a yellow green and, and red sign like a stop sign mm -hmm. and we just re-merchandised everything and had everything that was like next to the red sign next to the yellow next to the green and automatically it just it shifted behavior and people would stop buying the things that were associated with that red label they bought more things that were with the green label um, these little nudges that we can do at the workplace to change behavior without drilling a message down people's throat that you need to eat healthy just changing up the way we merchandised uh the the vending machine did all the change in the world or the the, the vending or the pot machine where, where the water and non-sweetened uh, iced tea was free and the soda cost cost the dollar or whatever the cost was we we drove down the purchase uh, purchases of of the soda because we made the healthy choice the easy choices as cliche as it is it does it does work and so it was always um trying to figure out how do we how do we push that uh, to the to the next level using you know behavioral psychology and 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 behavioral economics those are things i'm really fascinated in and how do we create these little nudges um and create this uh, positive influence you know within the workplace yeah talk to me a little bit more about the last two things that you just mentioned around the uh behavioral piece what did that look like what did those strategies look like so those are just getting back to like messaging um, there's different keywords that you can use and and you know with, with your headlines or your email sig or your 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 email subject lines or um, words that are on on your handouts and posters and looking at uh, call to actions things like that uh, just things that people need to hear it's it's really just marketing 101 but we just mm -hmm. don't treat employees as the consumers that they are uh, we just kind of tell them what to do and we, we got to get away from that and my my job has always been or i thought my job's always been to try to teach hr people how to be better marketers um, and to be able to advertise to their employees a little bit better um, so that they can that when that choice comes is that the employees making that choice on on their own and they're not being forced into uh, a situation so it's it's, it's it's all about using these little nudges or uh, one of those those um, when you're talking about behavioral economics and, and when it comes to um, like copywriting and is, is using scarcity and and um, and being able to uh, send sense of urgency. And so those are some of the key things that you do just in general promotions, right? If you only have a limited amount of things, people want that. Or if you only have, you know, two weeks to sign up for something that just creates that psychological uh, thing in our brain that's like, gosh, I need to have that now. And so like, how can we leverage those consumer uh, behaviors in, inside of the workplace to have the healthcare uh, products or healthcare um, offerings uh, utilized um, more, more, more efficient, efficiently? Because the problem is, is that, our healthcare options are always available. They're always here. My EAP is always here. My telehealth is always here. So how do we create those senses of urgencies? How do we create that, that, that scarcity that'll drive, drive that behavior? Hmm. That's very interesting. And uh, that, that was kind of one of the, the questions I was thinking about is, you know, what makes an effective communication strategy, employee communication strategy? I think you highlighted some, some really good things there. And I, I think we could probably spend an entire podcast episode just talking about the marketing piece of it. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Something that you said, I wonder how many employers maybe don't even understand that there's maybe a contradiction in how their culture set up when maybe I'm out communicating this wellness program, but yet you go into the break room and there's potato chips and Cheez-Its and Oreo packs and that kind of stuff where it's like, hey, there's a contradiction here. We're telling employees one thing, but the behavior we're actually encouraging and even how our office space is set up is... Yep. 
encouraging another behavior. So, no, you're nailing it on the head, and and that's the biggest challenge um, is that is that constant co contradiction, and it is something that can't happen overnight. I I had an organization that about 500 employees that uh, come Monday there was uh, non-smoking signs all over the park the parking lot, mm. and people were pissed when they came in on Monday. And the funny thing was the people that were the most upset were actually the non-smokers hmm. because they just came in and advertised, you just can't do this anymore. It's like, well, what are the, what's the next thing you're going to do? You're just going to tell us that we can't, we can't do anymore. And that, that, sh that should have been handled differently of saying, Hey, we would like to become a, a smoke-free campus over the next year and, and rolling it out uh, from a campaign standpoint. These are the things that we're gonna try to try to strive for. These are the things that we're gonna offer to help those that wanna quit smoking, quit smoking. But this is where, we're, where we're gonna, we would like to be you know, in, in 2022 uh, versus just showing up on, on a Monday. It's just, that's just bad, that's bad marketing, right? Yeah. So that, there's, a, there's that contradiction because employees don't, or those that are maybe in charge don't realize that they're doing that. I don't think there's any ill will intent. It's just like, oh, I'll send out a message that encourages healthy behavior, but they forget that there is that contradiction that's left in the lunchroom. So we really got to come up with a, a plan of recognizing that in the beginning. And if we're gonna do it, let's do it right the first time. But unfortunately that doesn't always happen. Um, so it's like, you gotta take the good with the bad and try to create those nudges. And those nudges often come with leadership and the HR folks. And you know, that, that's been a lot of our job is just kind of nudging them to help nudge their communication along to their, to their employees. So uh, yeah, there's no perfect uh, uh, per, you know, magic bullet when it comes to uh, communications and, and internally. It's, it can be a, a touchy subject. For yeah, sure. but I, I can see, and I think the point you're making is sometimes the, the, long, the more long-term approach is the more tactical or tactful approach as opposed to just coming on Monday and this is the cold turkey approach. You're probably not going to get the best uh, feedback <laughs> from your employees on that, but. No, you want to, you want the employees to be a part of the solution and, and, and part of uh, growing that culture culture because culture is just a byproduct, right? It's a byproduct of the decisions that you've made and the reaction to those decisions with your employees. And so you, you can't just say, oh, we're going to have this type of culture. No, your culture, you already have one. Uh, whether you like it or not, or whether it's good or bad, it's already there. You, it's, it's about working backwards what's influenced that, uh, that, that, uh, that culture, whether it's uh, um, the, the, the policies that, that are in place or the way that you're just managing your, your, your employees or what benefits are being, being offered and how those are being communicated. Yeah, it's just all, all, all a byproduct. But if you get to that root, you can really start influencing that, 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 that culture change relatively quickly, which is which I find really, really exciting. It's, it's this organism that we have at the workplace and it, and it can absolutely be, be influenced through, through a, I always call it like positive peer pressure um, mm -hmm. that you have with, with people and, and, and having those nudges. And the thing is that we have one or two employees that have, will have nothing to do with whatever initiative that we're, we're working on. That, that's okay, but sometimes those one or two people influence the decision for the rest of the entire company. But we end up finding some, some lead, those in leadership that recognize that, well, maybe those people maybe aren't the best or maybe we're not the best fit for them. Um, and maybe this is not the best place for them, them to work and they need to continue on. And they'll eventually kind of work themselves out, out of wanting to work there. And, and then that's why you also need to get back to your hiring practices and your interview practices and making sure people are fully aware of what the intent of where you're going is with your culture to make sure that they're hiring people that want to join that culture. And if you're really big on doing worksite wellness or whatever it is, I'm going to make sure those people come in the door 
are excited about that too. Because if they're not, then then you're just you're 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 just you're you're beating yourself against the wall, your head against the wall, and that's just that's just kind of kind of silly. But um, that's another easy way to influence uh, change culturally is to make sure that anybody new that's coming on board is is truly the right fit. If I'm an employee and uh, or if I'm an individual in, in 2021 and I'm trying to find a new job, a new employer, like what tools are at my disposal to go and do some research research on what a company's culture is around health and wellness? Are there any resources out there for me or um, tools that I can leverage? And there may not be. That. That's a great question. I know there's glass door that's out there, but unfortunately I see that uh, usually people are posting when it's they want to bash their employer. It's a lot of neg negative re reviews versus the ones that like will be positive right. ones. I think again, culturally is to make sure that if people are exiting on, on good terms um, that we encourage them as part of their exit interview to leave a good, a good review. Um, another thing I've always encouraged employers to do is to make sure on their career page that they talk about their company culture. Mm -hmm. um, that way when they go, when the employee or the process or the candidate goes in and does research on the website that they can get a feel for what it's like working there at that company before they even hit the apply button. Uh, that That's huge. And I see a lot more companies trending that way. And if you look at some of the biggest companies like even like pinterest.com you go they have a career page it's amazing you go to netflix.com you can go down a rabbit hole uh looking at all the different ways that that the, how their culture is is uh, uh is is laid out the different things that they have to offer you can get a really good sense of of what kind of company you're going to work for before you you, you apply at, at netflix which is which is pretty cool that's what we should be striving striving to do it's marketing right it's like if we're going to go market to consumers of, to sell our product we have a website up here's our product here's how we can help you here's some case studies here's some customer testimonials we need to do the same thing with candidates here's former employees or current employees testimonials here's some videos of our employees and what they think about us here's some benefits of that and here's what you get while working here you need to have the whole section of your website just focused on uh, marketing to potential can candidates i like it yeah that, that makes a lot of sense i had hadn't thought much about just an a company's career page and go in there. I, my first thought was Glassdoor as well. And uh, again, that tends to kind of be, I'm going to bash my former employer and tell you all the bad things about it, you know, yeah. uh, more for that. But, so yeah, putting that out on your, on your website is, is huge. We've helped, we've helped quite a few companies do that. And it's, it's even comical. I got, I got one of my clients up in, in Washington state, they had this uh, company picnic and uh, they all dress in costumes and on their career page, there's guys dressed in bunny suits and stuff. It's absolutely hilarious. And you get really get a sense of they're just kind of goofy, you know, fun right. people. And that really is who, who, they, who they are. And so that's either going to attract or maybe even detract people from applying. And you want people to not apply just as much as you want you know, people to apply because you want to, you know, wave off the people that, you know, aren't going to be the good, you know, good fit. So just make them aware of that when, you know, right when they, when they go to, to apply for your job, like make them aware of who, who you are. Um, deterring people is not, it's not, a, it's not a bad thing. Yeah. Let's transition here and talk about Rover Analytics. Um, tell me more about what's your guys' mission and, and how did you go about, what, what prompted you to start this company? Sure, it's just an extension of my my overall personal mission, which is to never lose an employee due to a, a preventative health condition, and because of my personal loss with uh, with with my friend. Um, also, in 2016, my father had a heart attack at age 55, uh, working for a smaller company, and the things that he was going through in terms of medications that he was on, his you know age and different factors. Um, 
definitely were indicators of a heart attack potentially ha happening, but because of being a small company, nobody's monitoring that information. No one has access to that information. And so this heart attack was quite frankly, an inevitable uh, for, from happening. And, and that was really the straw that broke the camel's back for me was how do we help small employers uh, get a, a, get access to this data so them and their benefit advisor that they're working with can make smarter decisions uh, around their health with their health plan design um, no matter the size of their co their company and that's what we really set out out to do I, I we talk a lot about self-funding and 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 that's been like the big buzz at least the last few years I really don't care if a group goes self-funded or not I think there's a lot of advantages to that but I also understand that it's a very big change uh, for employers to roll out so if I can even help the group just better renegotiate their current renewal and get that down, which we see time and time again, or look at captives or level funding or, or MERPS, which is a medical expense reimbursement plan. Great. I really want to empower that advisor to provide multiple health plan options that they can discuss you know, with, uh, with their client or with their prospect. And for the first time ever, really put that advisor in the, in the in the driver's seat of being a true consultant a true advisor uh, for for these small groups i mean we've had we have organizations that we work with that have completely um, got out of the 100 100 less you know uh, space they do not work with any companies under 100 employees then they found us and they're like we're now going to go back after that the, the, those size organizations because yeah we don't want to be just giving out rate rate increases year after year after mm -hmm. year um, and so there's there's a lot that's going that we're we have in uh, um, in the queue right now for through through Q4 that's going to launch in, in Q1, and in terms of care advocacy, employee navigation, and employee engagement solutions that's attached to our analytics because right now we're the only company that I know of that has uh, predictive analytics on for any fully insured group. So again, I don't care if you stay fully insured. I don't know why you'd want to uh, once you see under the hood and see all this data. But if you do, maybe it's just for the next year. We can at least monitor what's happening over over time and and help you make that transition maybe a little bit more smoother uh, maybe next on next next plan year cycle. Yeah, the key there is right is having access to the the claims data, uh, having someone at the at the company that cares, having an understanding of the type of medical issues and the type of uh, things that their employees are dealing with. Once exactly. again, once again, to help them understand the tools at their disposal. Exactly. And coming from the worksite wellness industry and coming from Catalyst, which is an employee benefit communications company, that's all been trickled over into Rover and helping employers better communicate what it is that we're doing, you know, on their behalf, because you have to have 100% participation in order for this to work. So some folks will freak out and be like, well, what if not? no one wants to participate? And it's like, well, this is that that one time we have these have this tough conversation that you don't participate then you're not going to be eligible for benefits next year and it, it gets mm -hmm. back to that parenting mode it's that not every kid wants to eat their you know their, their peas and carrots but we know as parents that it's it's in what's the, their best interest not that i'm trying to compare adult employees to kids but at the um, end of the day you know i have an organization that i i run and i need to make the best decision on behalf of my company and and for my employees and i'm i'm not going to uh, please everybody, but I, I got to know that I'm making the best decision. And I think a lot of employers out there, especially after COVID happened, there's there's less pushback what we have found. And from late 2018, 2019, when I got this started till now, 
because employees are just happy to have a job, let alone health insurance. And so there's just a lot less resistance. And it seems there's a lot more trust happening between the employee and the employer. So having a conversation of, about, we got to do something about our healthcare costs, they're going up. And because we're fully insured or because we were below this certain threshold on employee count, there's nothing we can do. And everyone has these rate increases. Let's do something about it. So it gets back to it takes a village approach um, and having this an initiative that that everybody can rally around uh, for the greater good of everybody um, is really interesting conversations to have. And, and yes, you're going to get maybe the one or two people that are the skeptics or whatever. And that, that's fine. We're more than happy to talk through those. Uh, those those scenarios with them. But at the end of the day, this is truly about providing the very best health benefits to employees at the at the lowest cost that we can possibly get to. And the only way to do that is to know our risk profile. It's like trying to go get car insurance. You cannot go get car insurance without you giving up your, your driver's license number. They're going to need to pull your driving record. Otherwise, you're not going to it's not going to happen. Same things happening on, on, on this side if you're small enough. Like we need to see what your driving record is, quote unquote, uh, from a health perspective in order to know how to provide a better, better rate. And the, the thing that the healthy people need to understand that are out there, you are helping your colleague um, that might need a little bit more care because you offset that risk. And again, we like to share all the anecdotal stories that we have of how we've helped not just employees, but spouses and children by identifying what the underlying costs have been and what care that they need and kind of putting that back on, on the new employee or the new prospect saying, what if that was you? What if that was your spouse? What if that was your kid? Wouldn't you want us to help them? Because that's what we're here to do. It really changes the dynamic uh, quite a bit. And what we've discovered is that we hover under 5% of, of employees on average that actually end up opting out of coverage uh, after all. They, they usually just get back on board and they understand like, okay, I, I see what the intent is here and there's no ill will here. And it's not about the money as much as it is about like, Susie needs some help. Like we had, we uncovered a lady in, uh, in, in uh, one of our clients in Washington that was on the drug spry cell. It's a $164,000 a year drug that the health plan was paying. And the group got a 40% rate increase this year and wouldn't tell us why. Well, we uncovered why. And that drug actually treats leukemia. And that, that couple is about to go through financial ruin because of the spouse not being able to work and just costing a ton of money to, to provide you know, care to that to her spouse. So like not only are we having to deal with someone that's very sick at home, but now we're about to go into bankruptcy. Like there's ways that we can prevent that uh, from, 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 from happening and, and why, why wouldn't we? So that's, that's my mission uh, with, with, with Rover is to really get to those underlying conditions and see what we can do to help. I'll encourage anyone uh, that, that's an interested in learning more to definitely go through your, to your guys's web page. Um, does a really nice job of laying down, kind of laying out the process. But um, just real quickly, can you can you kind of you mentioned employee needs to participate? So what does that look like from the employee's perspective? How do I participate in getting the data uh, onto the platform? Do I need to fill out an individual health questionnaire, or what what does that look like? Sure. Well, we're replacing the individual health questionnaire with real data. So that's kind of the good news. So we're not having to rely on, you know, memory or honesty. Um, and the process is really simple. If you're familiar with Venmo, um, it, it's a, we kind of call ourselves the Venmo of health insurance, uh, because with Venmo, you still have to log into your bank account and grant Venmo access to your bank. So you can share money with your friends and family. We're doing the same thing with with the claims data. So you're actually logging into our application with your same username and password to whatever carrier you're with and you grant our system access to your uh, electronic explanation of health benefits 
or EOBs, and then we aggregate that across the entire employee population and then provide the actual analytics behind that. So once you have your login credentials, it takes about 60 seconds to complete the process uh, and you're done. But if you need help creating login credentials, I have a whole support team uh, that provides unlimited support for up to two weeks, whether that's inbound, outbound, or even uh, pre-scheduled uh, calls. About a month ago, we worked with a, an organization that was a school for the blind and deaf, mm -hmm. and the teachers were also either blind and or deaf. And unfortunately, we're not able to do uh, calls with them. Um, so we just uh, pre-scheduled the, the teachers uh, uh, five at a time in 15-minute intervals and live on Zoom. And we had someone also in the room in the lunchroom that was translating everything we were saying in sign language on how to create your UHC login, how to log into our platform. And we got through you know, 77 employees in, in four days. So if they can do it, any, anybody can do it. That's awesome. Reminds what you said earlier. Uh, that's not necessarily a problem that you, pops into your head. You know, when you're driving around, that, that was a real problem that came through interacting with a client and really listening and understanding what their specific needs are. So, exactly. That's awesome. Um, talk to me about the predictive analytics. Like, what's all involved with that? Yeah. So that's launching here um, in the next probably 30 days. Or probably less than 30. By October 1st, we'll have everything integrated. Um, so we acquired a predictive analytics company uh, here recently, and their founder C CEO uh, just became our full-time CTO. And so we also inherited uh, the, the entire development team um, as, as well too. And so what was, I was working with some different analytic companies that were out there um, to take our data, to run AI through it, to see what we could forecast. And unfortunately, what I uncovered is that every single analytics company out there has to have diagnosis code uh, in order for the analytics to work. And really what's mm -hmm. happening is that you're just forecasting what the future cost is gonna be based on a gap in care that's obviously triggered by that diagnosis. So someone that has is a type two diabetic is obviously already classified with the diagnosis of a type two diabetes. And if they're not getting certain care, then obviously the system can easily trigger, oh, they didn't get their eyes checked or their feet checked or their uh, blood checked. That's a gap in care. And if you don't do that, then it's going to cost, it potentially can cost X. But what we wanted to do, because we don't typically get diagnosis code um, on an EOB, it's just, it's just not there. But we have all this other data that's there. You get the drug name, you get the procedure name, you get the service provider, you get to see if they've done any labs. Um, can we take that information and have a pretty confident guess of what or an assumption of what that diagnosis is going to be? Some are obviously easier than others. Someone on a drug spry cell, it, it just treats leukemia. Pretty, I can guess pretty quick, quickly what that, what that diagnosis is going to be, but no platform on the market could take that. And um, thankfully, I was introduced from one of my board members, a company that, that had launched uh, two years ago doing predictive analytics and actually predicts the onset of disease and, and latent disease. So actually solving our, our, our exact problem. And long story short, we were trying to do a license deal and, and uh, he ended up calling me one day and said, why don't you just buy my company and I'll come on board as your CTO. I really like what you're doing. And I'm like, Awesome. So we we have worked we worked all of that out, and so now we can actually predict um, not just the gaps in care and and the the financial uh, repercussions of if you don't do anything, but what about all those folks that aren't type two diabetics yet, but are gonna be within the next twelve to twenty four months? We're the only company that can actually do that 
whether you're on a fully insured plan or even self-funded plan. That's powerful yeah. to be able to have that latent risk, especially from an underwriting risk score, working with the stop loss carriers to tell you, hey, here's all the type two diabetics that are gonna come up. And I don't mean to pick on the type two diabetics, just the one that gets talked about the most um, is, is, is really powerful. And then being able to, from a care advocacy standpoint, get in front of some of those before they actually get diagnosed. There's a lot of things that we can do in terms of early intervention uh, with those plan members. And, and that's um, the next step that we're working on that'll be live on 1-1 is a care advocacy module that any medical management company can bolt into our system and look at the data and look at who they who are currently uh, have chronic conditions and who are those that might end up having one within the next 12 to 24 months. Those are gonna, those are gonna be powerful tools for an employer to, to utilize. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And to have some employee navigation that's built in, in there. So based on your own data, let's help create some influence. That's their recommendations of where this employee might want to go uh, for care that's going to be the lowest cost of coverage, but good quality care, you know, based on their actual health status. And so the, a lot of the auto, automation and, and using AI and applying machine learning to that is, is the direction that we're going to go. I just want to be able to work with any company of any size. And unfortunately, all the predictive analytic companies out there, they, can, they all are competing for the same business. They can only work with companies that are already self-funded or they're a large enough uh, fully insured group where they can you know, get data from the carrier directly, where we're kind of high, you know, playing under the wire, if you, if you will, because 95% of all employers are under, have under 100 employees. That's a pretty big untapped market, and we're, 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 we're okay with staying, staying there. But if you got a group that has a couple thousand employees, that works too. But we really want to work with the, um, the, small, the smaller groups because, I mean, that's, that's America. I mean, it's, yeah. it's small employers. Yeah. The AI and machine learning, that's definitely something that I'm, I'm hoping to explore more on this um, podcast. And I love how you guys are looking to use it there. It's just, I, I finally realized a couple months ago, you know, data storage has just gotten to the point where it's so cheap and yep. there's ample amount of it. That's not the issue. The issue has become, I've got all this data and it's, I'm just generating more and more and more of it, especially I think about like the biomedical community and stuff. And it's like, all right, but how am I going to sort through all this? And of course that's where the AI and the machine learning goes through. So I kind of, exactly. my eyes were open to that and how much that's impacting the healthcare industry, how much it's impacting uh, biomedicine and that type of stuff, just because of the sheer amount of value uh, data that we have access to now. Yeah, now it's about, okay, what do you do with that data? And then who's going to be there to act upon that data? So there's two other steps that need to happen once you collect the data. Right. And so that's what we're plan, plan, planning for. Um, so we can help you get a better plan design. Great. That's step one. Step two is like, okay, all these folks that have these different variables or health conditions and that need help, who's going to act upon that and, and actually be that care advocate or that personal health assistant on the behalf of an employee? Because that's, that's huge. And it's and it's it's much needed, especially when we're working with these in the within the blue collar uh, industries. They just are not a lot of love is given given to that industry, and th and that is our bread and butter. And those are our favorite organizations to work with. They seem to be the most appreciative in what we're trying to trying to do for them. Um, and we just don't want to make sure that they're they're not neglected. That they have someone that can help them. Yeah, yeah. If you spend any time trying to navigate the healthcare ecosystem and and have a procedure done and go through the billing process, there's a we're trying to schedule that and look at your options. Uh, these leads to a lot of head scratching and a lot of confusion and frustration. So having that advocate there and, and that person to handhold you and kind of guide you through that process is such an invaluable uh, tool and resource. Um, 
Well, I know we're coming up on our time here. I just wanted to ask uh, a few more. We talked a lot about uh, health and wellness, and I was just curious, what are some uh, healthy routines or habits that have impacted your life um, that you've been able to implement and even in, in, in your family's life? Yeah, um, with COVID, I mean, we just actually, my wife and I just bought a new house. We, had, we actually just had a new baby. Um, oh, okay. Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, so we actually just installed a gym in our, in, our, in our garage. So that's just been easy to be able to do that. I know not everyone can uh, be able to do that. But for me, the convenience and access was really important because I work so much. Um, and being able to be there for my, my kid that wants to wake up at any given, any given moment. Uh, it's not really easy just to, just to go out, out uh, to, to, the, to the gym uh, workout. So it was just nice to be able to have everything central since we all work from home. Why not have the gym here as well too? So that's been, that's been the, probably the most, the most helpful thing. Okay. Okay. What, uh, what does your workout routine look like? Do you have a, a program that you follow or? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very blessed to have a um, the couple that built this house just a couple of years ago. Unfortunately, they they had to I had to sell it. Um, they're from Europe, and they actually did put a sauna in in the house. So I so my first step is just turning on the sauna when I wake up in the morning. Oh, then nice. going to going to the gym, do a little cardio, a little weights, and then by the time I'm done, I uh, go in the sauna, and then just that's probably like where I listen to a podcast um, in in this in the sauna, and then get kind of my brain going and get cleaned up, and then then start then start my day. So yeah. I try to have that routine. It doesn't happen every single day, but, but, um, we're, we're, we're working on it. Yeah. That's awesome. It's funny. I, there's a guy I follow on Twitter, um, which he actually opened my eyes. I didn't know that you could buy a sauna from Costco, but you can, you can order it. At, um, yeah, a couple, couple thousand bucks and, uh, you can set it up in your house, but he had bought one of those and he kind of the same thing. It came to be part of his daily routine. He would go in there uh, after they put the kids down and would listen to a podcast and kind of unwind. And so that's interesting. I, I've seen that before. Oh, perfect. Um, I was going to ask you, what, um, is there a book that's had the greatest impact on your thinking or that you've maybe recommended the most to others? Yeah, it's uh, one I actually read in college. It's called, You Don't Need a Title to Be a Leader. And yeah. it's fascinating with all the stories that are in there on how people have changed industries or, or companies that weren't in leadership positions. Probably my favorite story is, is the, the wrap around the cardboard around the, the Starbucks, Starbucks cup that okay. was actually invented by a barista uh, that just saw everyone burning their hands and needing the, their cup double cupped. And he's like, there's gotta be a better way for this. And was tinkering in his garage with obviously with some cardboard and came with this idea. And uh, eventually it worked its way up to, to corporate and it became adopted out of all of all Starbucks and pretty much every coffee shop that you can think of on I think on planet Earth now has that and it was just a kid uh, that that came up with that uh, the greeter at Walmart was an employee was a I think it was like a 70 or 80 year old man uh, that was talking about this this the friendliest place to work or friendliest place to, to visit and and uh, he said well if we're so friendly then we should be greeting people at the front the front door and I got up to corporate and they liked it. And that's just been installed uh, at every, every Walmart store. So I try to pay it, ingrain that with anybody that I work with is that just because I'm in a position that I'm in doesn't mean that you don't have amazing ideas. In fact, the people that are your front line are the people that are going to probably have the best ideas because they're the ones that are interacting with your, your customers on, on the day-to-day -day basis. So for those that are definitely in a leadership role, I, I love that book. It's really inspiring, especially for giving those out to employees. I think it is inspirational to realize that, oh, wow, like I didn't realize all these things that that got created that I interact with on a daily basis that actually didn't come from some corporate think tank. It just came from a barista at Starbucks. Right. 
I like that. I'll, I'll definitely include that in the uh, check that book out and, and include it in the show notes. Cool. And uh, last one I want to ask here over the past 12 months, and I, I stole this from uh, one of my one of my favorite podcasts, but I just love this question. But over the past 12 months, what purchase of $100 or less has had the, the greatest impact on your life or improved your improved your life the most? Improved my life the most. Um, and if you put your home gin together for a hundred bucks, I'd be pretty impressed. So, no, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll take them off. I'm gonna show, show you this right this right here. This okay. Is, I have hardwood floors and they hurt my feet like crazy. And these were um, Ophos. Am I saying that saying that right? Okay. The brand. Uh, this these were actually invented by um, uh, 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 those. Uh, the long distance runners, I can figure out what they're, 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 they're called. Not the, it was yeah. a marathon runner, but someone like in, in that field and like their feet were always kill, killing them and they're just- they're uh, Ultra marathoners, I think they call them. Or it, was like an ultra, it was an ultra marathoner okay. that invented it. And so like, that was the reason for just, that's the first thing that came to my mind. I think that my wife got those like three weeks ago, like they're like 50 bucks and oh my gosh, they are amazing. I do love to run, but just even walking on these hardwood floors, kill my feet. And that's probably the, <laughs> the most amazing purchase that was under 100 bucks. I like it. I like it. Uh, I tend to, it's funny. I tend to, uh, my wife kind of laughs at me, but I, I tend to wear my tennis shoes pretty much all throughout the day at the house. I don't know. It's just uh, on my feet a lot or walking around. It's just nice to, to have that extra cushion there. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so awesome. Well, Ben, I really enjoyed the, uh, Benjamin, I've really enjoyed the conversation and really appreciate you, you making the time. Um, if someone would like to reach out to you, uh, maybe, ask a follow-up question to something that you said or just wanting to connect what's the best way for them to do that yeah i mean getting a hold of me on linkedin is really really easy uh we're fairly active at least someone in my on my team team is uh so we'll probably find us in the feed uh roveranalytics.com uh, works as works as well okay all right awesome well again i really appreciate the time and, and really enjoy the conversation all right likewise thanks nicholas i appreciate your time as well well, that does it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you'd like to tune into future episodes, um, you can definitely check out the RSS feed in the show notes. And also, uh, I'll be posting these episodes on my LinkedIn and also my Twitter at Nicholas Krim on both of those. So thanks again for tuning in. I hope you have a great day.